the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one tim hudak is here former leader of the ontario conservatives now at the ontario real estate association mark warner international trade lawyer and like i say dowson is a pundit and uh happy wednesday if that is at all possible actually Anne, you're in a bit of a different uh, geography and i know you guys have been contending in Montreal and southern Quebec uh, with smoke for the last few days. Have things improved at all? Yeah, today is a good day. It rained last night and the air is clear. There's still a tiny little vestige of it. But it's, you know, this kind of smoke is super bad because if you've ever gone camping, you'll know if you're downwind from a campfire. It's a particularly, uh, uh, like it's a kind of f- a smoke that has a lot of particulate matter and it lodges in your throat. You can really feel it. It's like a very toxic form of smoke. So you really need to stay the heck out of that. Do not breathe that stuff in. It's like smoking a pack a day of cigarettes or something after a certain point. If you're out doing athletic activities, it's really, really toxic. And Mark Warner, I don't know if you're broadcasting this morning from your splendid condo, but I'm wondering what the skyline looks like to you. Well, I, I, the sky, I, I haven't noticed much in terms of the skyline. It's kind of gray and cloudy, but I did sleep with the window open last night. And I, it's funny because I, my reaction was, I thought, am I smelling the smoke that uh, Laura used to talk about on a panel we were on once before? <laughs> and then I got your message about the topics we had today. And I said, damn, it's right. There is actual smoke out there this morning. So, yes, it does smell like a, a fireplace and a bit of a, an outside barbecue this morning. Yeah, and Tim Hudak, I noticed it when I stepped out of the house. It wasn't exactly overwhelming, but it does seem to be a challenge for an awful lot of people. Yeah, it can be. It feels like mild campfire uh, this morning, but I guess it's going up uh, in scale. Our, our girls' school, our elementary school, sort of watches to see what the rating is. I guess probably the natural test of walking outside to see, and they keep them in for um, uh, for recess if it's too thick. Look, uh, it's unfortunate we're going through this. We will get through this. It is better. I remember the, the smog days, John, where that would be one of the first things that more in the morning would talk about in the smog index. We made some progress, yeah. and we'll get through it. Um, it does seem, though, if I can just come back, uh, to you, Mark Warner, that we live in a permanent catastrophe these days. Do you think that that is a disorder or are things genuinely going to hell? Well, I think it is a bit of a disorder. You know, we, we, everything, life is so comfortable. You know, we live, we life, life is so comfortable in an internet age and digital media for so many people that, uh, and, and so many things that we have coming to us that uh, I, I think anything that goes slightly awry that probably all of our ancestors as human beings on this planet have lived with for thousands of years, if not millennia, we now freak out about. Yeah, it's true. And like I say, Dowson, I mean, you know, through history, there have been things like, you know, volcanic eruptions that have changed the pattern of weather for two and three years. Yeah, and I think that's not a bad analogy. Like, I I do think that many of us live comfortably, but a lot of us do not. And the ones who are going to be most affected inevitably are always the ones who are most vulnerable here in Canada and around the world. Like the, the climate is changing. I just saw a story about how sucking up the, uh, the groundwater in so many places is causing the axis of the earth to change. Like, so, I mean, you're right. There have been terrible cataclysms in the past, but this one largely created by humans needs to be seriously thought through and analyzed. And our leadership has to try and tackle this. This is something that you're right. We will get through, but it's, it's, this is just like a minor blip in an ongoing train crash. And we need to be thinking about how to address climate change because that's what's behind these fires. And there's going to be more of them.
Uh, this next story is definitely in your wheelhouse, Tim Hudak. It's about how uh, lenders are now seeing, they're not issuing 60, 70, 90-year mortgages, but that seems to be the game plan for people taking mortgages out. Um, I don't know. I can see the upside to all of this. I know it seems crazy to die without your house being paid for, but maybe that's an actual better use of your money. It's better to keep the home, right? I mean, it is it is good to see some flexibility here. The, the reality is that we had uh, the most rapid increase in, in interest rates, I think potentially in history. It went, went up quite quickly to try to quell inflation. And as a result, those that had variable rate mortgages um, before so have been impacted to the point where many are finding out that uh, all of the payments are going towards the interest back to the bank and not to paying down the principal to gain equity in the home. So this is a flexibility. I, uh, this will change when interest rates uh, plateau or start coming down. People make more income, hopefully get promoted. They can pay down more principal. It, it is a safety valve to make sure that you can maintain the keys to the home. I, I think people, I, I'm an optimist on this. I think people will do everything they can. They will cut back everywhere else just to maintain maintain ownership and equity in the place to call home. And like I say, Dowson, back in the day, I always remember my parents actually finally paying off their mortgage after many, many years, and they had one of those ritual mortgage burnings. But uh, is there something necessarily wrong with the idea of being permanently mortgaged? Well, if you're a tenant, you're basically never going to get ahead of it. And so many of us just live in that world of, of being tenants. And you're affected. And even even if you do have a mortgage and you you you're never really going to fully own your home, except maybe if you're lucky enough to pay off your mortgage. I think most people figure that they're just not going to be doing that anytime soon like that. There is a housing crisis and this is a reflection of it. And I'm glad to see that there is some flexibility to allow people to stay on in their places. I don't like, you know, in the 1930s, people got their places seized and they were kicked out onto the streets in Toronto. There were big demonstrations after the First World War and, you know, there were big problems even then. So this is not a new thing. And I, I'm glad that there's some way for people to stay in their houses. The people that really worry me are the tenants who end up inheriting the high mortgage rates and the high rents. Okay. And Mark Warner, your thoughts, uh, 60, 70, 90 year mortgages. <laughs> I, I don't understand them, to be honest with you, I, they, how they really work in practice. I'd want to look into that in more detail. But I just sort of hope that our this is one of those ones where our regulators, like the Office of Superintendent of Financial Institutions, has their, um, is paying attention to it and is actually doing the work uh, about this and is not being led by banks and other you know people who tend to regulate the regulators in Canada so often. Uh, it seems crazy to me. So uh, let's, uh, let's hope that the people who are paid to be regulators do their job for a change in Canada. John Woodward reporting last night about a guy, 22 years old, he's called, or the practice is called rooftopping. He was a roof topper, and it involves pulling stunts uh, on very tall buildings in very dangerous ways and then capturing it for social media. And he fell to his death, and his parents are calling for greater awareness in all of this. Um, I mean, let me start with Anne Legacy Dowson. It just... Uh, you know, it's it's a start with creepy and keep moving your way out and, and also rid ridiculously risky and not worth the price. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, you know, a thrill seeker thing that afflicts mostly young guys who, you know, you see these same some of these same people speeding at, I mean, incredible rates on the auto routes and cutting and, you know, passing on the right like that. 
I don't know, riding a motorcycle. It's just part of human nature, I think, although it does seem to afflict mostly the males. So I'll let you you guys figure it out. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, there, there was Crane Girl in our defense. Yes. Crane Girl from, from back in my old riding in Niagara. Maybe it's a Niagara thing. I, I, I Tragic. Like I, I feel awful for the parents that their, their son would do this, take this kind of, of risk. I'm sure they did everything to try to stop him. But ultimately, John, you can't legislate against stupidity, right? Yep. The, the fact that people would put themselves at, at these kinds types of risk to uh, get a bit more of a following on, on social media. I feel awful this has happened, but man, it is incredibly stupid to take that kind of risk. And Mark Warner, I know people are saying it's all about social media, and maybe that's a fuel to the fire, but at the same time, people have been doing stupid things since the beginning of civilization. Well, you know, John, it's funny. Last week, we were all consumed with the Titanic submersible story, and the one Part of it that I, I had trouble with was this uh, not, uh, the, the Pakistani billionaire who took his son down there. And I was waiting to hear from his mother, the mother of the kid, to see what she would sound like. And I finally saw an interview with her a couple of days ago, and she, she didn't seem particularly broken up about it. And she said that her son liked doing playing with the Rubik's Cube, and it was his idea. He wanted to break the world's Guinness record of solving Rubik's Cube under the sea. And the father just went along to take a picture of it. So... You know, people are crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in that thinking. case, it was rich. It was rich male people. Rich male yeah. people. Yeah, but I'm still thinking of you know, uh, William S. Burroughs asked his wife to put a vase on the top of her head, and then he took a shot at her and killed her. So and he killed her. Yeah, yeah, and that didn't end up on Instagram. So uh, let me ask you if there's any perspective to be brought, and I'll come back to you, Mark Warner, on the idea that Post Media, which owns the National Post and the Sun, would merge with the. Toronto Star. And I realize this is sort of a, the kind of story that wonks specialize in. Do you think the general public is going to be is going to care? I think people will care about it more than wonks. The, the reality is wonks, meaning real wonks like me, <laughs> um, you know, for us, it's, it's kind of a simple issue because at, media mergers are really advertising about advertising in, in the sort of standard and wonky analysis that people like me do for a living. Uh, adver- this is not a complicated advertising uh, merger because Google and all those other people do a lot more of it. But to the real world out there, you look at it as, as emerging content. Unfortunately, the Competition Bureau and others don't really look at it that way. There's that disconnect. And um, so it's going to be, I think it's going to be one of those ones that's going to be tough because uh, lay, the lay conversation will be about editorial content merger and every the rest of us will be thinking about it in terms of advertising where it will actually not be a big deal well tim hudak a lot of people will say yeah oh this is the legacy media this is the mainstream media who really cares but you know they kind of have a 300 year history of keeping politicians honest amongst other things no doubt about it. That old uh, adage from Tip O'Neill that all politics is is local. You know, I saw this myself, John, in, in my not riding in uh, Niagara over the years as local media consolidated. It meant uh, less uh, reporters that were there uh, on the ground to cover local politics or to rightly challenge the politicians. There was a lack of editorial scrutiny became generalized and then sort of province or nationwide as opposed to to local. Look, I get the cost pressures. Mark is right. Advertising dollars really drive this. But I, I do decry the lack of, of local media coverage that will hold all decision makers and institutions accountable. And like I say, Dawson, last word on this one. And it's worth noting, uh, Toronto is a rare North American market that has multiple newspapers. And you're lucky in that way. Here in Montreal, the Anglos, uh, we have what's left of the Gazette. and a lot Which is of a pamphlet, really yeah. Yeah, it's really looking skimpy now. I mean, it's bad. And I, I have a feeling that the only papers that will be left will be Le Devoir 
and the globe at the end of all of this. And that is really terrible to Tim Hudak's point, which is that people need to hear what's going on at council. They need to hear what's going on with the cops. And they're not getting that. They're getting a lot of half-assed, if I may say, opinion, which is not helpful in terms of like civic involvement. And I think that's really dangerous for democracy. And we see the tilt towards more and more ferocious opinion and less and less real knowledge about what's actually happening around us. I think it's really worrisome. And not a lot of time on the clock, but uh, Tim Hudak, your thoughts on the idea of the province starting to charge pretty well on every kind of drinking container, not just uh, wine and beer. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense. I, I, I like the incentive here. I, I looked at this when I was um, uh, leader of the Ontario PC party. We heard from the companies that produce the waste. No, give us a chance. Let's make the blue box work. And I commend Minister David Pacini for looking into this. Like, John, only about 30 percent of uh, recyclables go through the blue box. It is an easy program, but you need more uh, levers to actually get even above 50%. I can tell you there's a fight going on between Coke and Pepsi, believe it or not, behind the scenes at their association <laughs> over blue box versus deposit return. But just like we see, like I line up my beer bottles, I take them in religiously. Yeah, there's probably too many of them, but you put a, a nickel, dime, whatever on these containers, will improve our recycling and be better for the environment, and it's a practical solution. Thank you. Do you, drive your car to, do you drive your car to take them back? To, uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I ride my bike and put them in the basket up front. Well, I, I see. I, I will see. say. I always wonder about that. There are a few more joyless places than a beer store in Ontario. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. Tim Hudak, Anne Lagasse Dowson, and Mark Warner. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.